This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to say that I'm joined on Football CFB today by James Coppinger. Lots of us, lots of you listening to this will know James has been the Doncaster Rover stalwart, been at the club for well over a decade now, um, in nearly two decades, I suppose you could look at, been 16 years. But he's also played at Newcastle, Hartlepool, QPR, um, and Nottingham Forest as well. James, thanks for joining me. My absolute pleasure, Callum. Nice to um, obviously share my story and my journey and some of my experiences with everybody. Absolutely. And, and I mentioned the fact that lots of people know you as being the sort of Doncaster Rovers icon because a lot of people think you're a one-club man, but you actually started at Darlington as a youth player. I did, yeah. Um, something that I never sort of wanted to be growing up. Um, it wasn't something that I'd set out to be as a professional footballer. Um, for me personally, sort of... I never really had that in mind. Never went to a school of excellence. Never was in the in the academy. Um, I was just in a Sunday league team, um, and yeah, just sort of. I wouldn't say got lucky, but um, did really well in my Sunday league team and got offered a YTS at Darlington. When you get into Darlington at that age, is it just a case of playing for fun and seeing how far it can take you, or do you start thinking about making it as a professional as soon as you sign your YTS? I think things change for me. Um, as soon as I, as soon as I signed my YTS, um, it, I think it almost triggered something inside me to say, "Look, it's time to take this serious." I was training every day, um, and it gave me a focus. I'm a, hun- I'm, a I'm all or nothing type of person. Um, I really enjoyed growing up where I grew up in Gisborough, um, a small town near Middlesbrough. Um, Never got forced to do anything by my parents. Um, really enjoyed, had a good group of friends, really enjoyed playing out with them. I grew up in the time when you could play out the front with your mates till nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, spent all my youth playing cricket, playing football down the park. Um, so I really enjoyed that and I had that fantastic childhood. And like I said, up until 16, never really thought about what I wanted to do. And um, to get that opportunity at Darlington, six months into that, I represented England in an under-17s uh, European Championships qualifiers and subsequently got my move to Newcastle in the well on deadline day. Getting your move to Newcastle, just sum up how that felt, because legend of football, Kenny Dalglish is the manager. It must have been a pinch-yourself moment. It was. I mean, I was at Darlington. I'd, I'd, I'd heard a few a few rumours, but I never I never thought anything of them. Um, and then I went in one day, and somebody told me that David Hodgson, the manager, wanted to see me. Um, straight away, I thought, "Oh my God, what have I done?" Um, walked up to his office, and he said, "Look, I've spoke to your dad, and he's bringing your suit. We're, we you're going up to Newcastle, St James's Park, and they want to they want to sign you and Paul Robinson, another player." So I'll go up there, see what you can do, hopefully get something sorted. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. It was, like you say, one of these moments that I would never, ever, never expected. Um, we went up there, we, were, we, we signed a contract, me, my mum, my dad. Um, I was training with the YTSs one day. The next day I was training with the likes of Alan Shearer. So Kenny Daglish trained, um, Gary Speed, Warren Barton, Rob Lee. All these players that Ian Rush, all these players that I looked up to, sort of three, four, five years earlier, watching them on telly. Um, I was now training with these people. Um, it was, I'd like to say, a dream come true, but it was something that I'd never really dreamed about. See, when you're training with those guys on a sort of daily basis, see, coming from Darlington, and again, I don't mean this in any disrespectful way to the club, but I imagine it's a completely different level in terms of intensity. Um, and, and just technical quality because some of the players you mentioned there, the likes of Shearer 
and others, just top, top, top players. Yeah, the difference in, in everything is, is huge. The facilities, um, what what's there, what you can sort of access as a professional footballer, the mentality. Um, there's so many different things that are on a different level. Um, and it took some use to, um, t- took some getting used to, took some sort of adapting to. I wasn't driving, I didn't pass my test, so I had to travel. Um, and for me, a young lad, um, it was such a fantastic experience, like you say, moving um, so quick at 17 years old to a Premier League club. But at the time, Newcastle were a top four club, challenging for for the Premier League title. So it was a, it was a really big club um, and still is. You mentioned the fact you're in training every day, you're coming through the system there. In terms of your loan move to to Hartlepool, I mean, how did that come about? Was it the club encouraging you to go on loan or were you wanting to go and get some first-team football under your belt or a mix of the two? Um, I'd say a mix of the two. For me, it wasn't about the prestige of playing for Newcastle United, although obviously I I wanted to play for Newcastle, but it was more about carving a career out in football I enjoyed playing football I didn't do it for the money I wasn't motivated by money I was motivated by by winning things and and really sort of enjoying playing football so for me to go out I played reserve team football I got really bored of that um, and sort of Rude Hullet came in Daglish uh, left Sir Kenny left um, Rude Hullet came in and I went pre-season tour with, with the first team did really well went to Holland, went to uh, Germany, Scotland. Um, and yeah, things were going from strength to strength. And then Sir Bobby Robson came in, Rude Hullet got the sack and he put all the reserves on the transfer list, including myself. Um, and it was an absolute ball out the blue, didn't expect it. Um, so I went out on loan thinking, right, I'm going to have to go out and, and prove myself here. Um, and that was my first loan spell at, at 18 or 19. Um, so that was the reason for going out on loan initially. And, and then I came back and made my Premier League debut at 19. And it was Sir Bobby Robson that gave me that, that opportunity. What was Sir Bobby Robson like in sort of training sessions and team talks? Because he's one of my favourite people in football of all time. Just from the outside looking in, he just seemed like such a gentleman. And when you look back at his record, and obviously managing Barcelona, taking Ipswich to European success, he, he just had an incredible career and in my opinion from the outside looking in an incredible way about him as well he did and the 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 first sort of moment that i can remember the italian 90 world cup um for me that was watching that and experiencing that was my buy into football if you like that was my moment where i thought that's I want I want to play that game. I, I had such an, an, an attachment to that and obviously him as a manager. And then, like you say, seven, eight years later, he's managing me. It was it was unbelievable. Um, he was a fantastic man. Somebody who I probably took for granted at the time. Um, he was very strict. He was very sort of... Um, he once collared me and made a bit of a... Um, Example of me, I bought a brand new car. I think I'd only made one. As soon as I made my debut, I got a new car. And he, he sort of embarrassed me in front of all the, all the first team and sort of belittled me and made me sort of... Um, and I thought he was a little bit harsh at the time, but I look back now and he was absolutely spot on. <laughs> it was almost like, who do you think you are type moment. Like you played one game and, and you're buying a nice flash car. Um, he was one of them that you could relate to. Um, never held a grudge. I left Newcastle um, and then two years later was at Doncaster or three years later at Doncaster and we had a, like a mutual friend and he, the mutual friend would always say, Sir Bobby's asking after you. Um, he's asking after you, how, how are you doing? Hopes you're doing well. Um, and I've read so many stories about the same sort of thing. He was, he was just a gentleman that really, really loved football right up until the end. Um, and he had such a such a sort of um he had these this type of personality that you were just warm to straight away um it was it was amazing to be around him he had that aura and everybody bought into what he what he what he did also what's it like sharing the dressing room with alan shearer because 
the Premier League's all-time leading goal scorer, would he have time to speak to the young players or was he fully focused on just his own game? Um, uh, no, I got on, I got on well with, with Alan. Um, obviously, I made my, my debut and partnered him up front um, against Tottenham at home. Um, I played in pre-season games with him and, yeah, for me, in training... He's the most clinical striker I've ever played with. Um, Billy Sharp obviously played with him. He's gone on and scored bundles and bundles at goal on uh, uh, goals at a different level. But um, in training, you give him one chance, he'll score. And and like you say, his record speaks for himself. He's a a really good guy. He 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 spoke to my dad after I made my debut and had really nice things to say. Um, and he did have time for for the young lads um, as well. So. Yeah, fantastic guy who, who always led by example and, like you say, his record speaks for himself. Another loan spell with Hartlepool, but towards the end at Newcastle, are you thinking to yourself, I need to move on here because I'm not going to be young forever and I need to start playing first-team football? Um, ironically, I got into the playoffs with Hartlepool the first time uh, we missed out against Darlington. The second time we got into playoffs again, and I couldn't play for Hartlepool because of my loan wouldn't allow me to. Um, and I had a, a meeting with Chris Turner, the manager, who said, "If we get promoted, we will sign you. Um, if we don't, we won't because we feel like you're better than this level, and we don't feel like your style of play suits this level." Which, which in a way, didn't really sort of. I didn't know where to go with that, to be honest. Um, I had a year left at Newcastle. The ITV digital money had gone out of football. Um, and, I, and I'd had enough. I didn't want, like I said there, I didn't want to be playing in the reserves, but playing for Newcastle. Like, that tag wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to, to play professional football and play every Saturday and be one of them people that, that played a huge part. Um, so I joined Exeter. Um, yeah, travelled 365 miles from home for the first time um, and moved there and, and, and applied my trade down there in League Two. You make your debut against Shrewsbury and then a couple of weeks later you get your first goal against Torquay. What was it like getting your first goal when you joined a new club like Exeter permanently? Amazing, um, especially against local rivals like Torquay. I remember scoring that goal. It was, it was a really good goal. Um, a volley and... Yeah, things went really well for me uh, initially. John Comfort, the manager who signed me, we I was enjoying going to training every day. This was something that I'd wanted. I, I was relishing the opportunity to to sort of playing first team football. Um, and unfortunately, he he lost his job and things changed. We got a new manager in that didn't really didn't really fancy me. You mentioned the fact you get a manager who doesn't fancy you. And one of the things I'm interested to to ask you about, when Exeter were relegated, it was said at the time, or you, you've said subsequently, sorry, that you were close to actually quitting football at that point because you were feeling quite low. What was what was that experience like? Because that's something that I'm sure many players can relate to. Um, yeah, like... Like I spoke about, I made my Premier League debut at 19 and then get relegated out of the Football League at 21, 22. Um, and before that, at 16, I was playing Sunday League. So I, I went from Sunday League to Premier League to non-league in, in probably five years. So I went sort of up and down emotionally um, and had to deal with a lot. I lost, I lost my granddad at 21, who was sort of my biggest fan. He... He, he took me everywhere um, along with my dad um, and he passed away with cancer and my mum and dad divorced. So I've spoke about this on, on numerous occasions and these sort of things sort of on top of getting relegated out of the football league and questioning what am I doing playing football? Like, why am I doing this? Um, it was a real tough time for me. Um, Eamon Dolan, who, who, who passed away with testicular cancer, who was um, the manager at Exeter at the time, was, was huge for me. He believed in me. He, he got me back. I didn't want to go back. He got me back and I played a year in the conference um, and we missed out on the last day in the playoffs. Um, 
but during that time, I, I represented England C or I went to an England C meeting and I got told to, we were in a room with the full team and we were sort of, you have to stand up and tell everybody your name and a little bit about yourself. And we went round everybody and I stood up and obviously said James Coppinger, um, 20 years old, made my Premier League debut at, against Tottenham um, a year ago or two years ago. And and the lads couldn't believe it that we're there. They were just like, how, how on earth are you playing non-league representing England when you were making your Premier League debut a year or two years ago? And, and it sort of stuck with me. It was like, what am I actually doing? Like, I, I can't believe I'm, I'm in this situation. Um, and that on the back of Eamon Dolan believing me and trusting me and, and showing his faith in me, I, I had a fantastic season in the conference and, and Doncaster came sniffing in the January. I didn't have a chance to, to go. I said to Eamon, look, I'll, I'll see the season out and I'll go at the end of the season if we don't get promoted. And, and that's what happened. On the season in the conference, was there a real difference to playing in the conference to there was in, in League Two, as we call it now? Because you'd played in League Two with Exeter, with Hartley pulling those loan spells. Is the conference different or is the standard pretty much quite similar? I think back then, um, the standard was a little bit different. Um, I think the top end of the conference... There isn't there isn't much difference, but the lower you go down, um, it's 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 it tends to separate the teams. I think things have changed massively in terms of the standards in the divisions right now. Obviously, played in League Two recently with with Doncaster, got promoted out of there, um, and eighty percent of the clubs try and play football the right way. Um, you go back to when I was playing for Hartlepool. And it was 20% of the clubs are trying to play the right way. Um, so, well, when I say the right way, the right way, in my opinion, um, playing the ball down and playing out from the back. Um, so things have changed dramatically. Um, I think the standard of football through the leagues has got a lot stronger than it used to be. In terms of the move to, to Doncaster, see when you say to the manager in January, Eamon, that you're going to stay for the rest of the season. Were you aware that Doncaster were going to come back in in the summer or was that a gamble looking back on it? It probably was a gamble, um, but for somebody like Eamon to show that much faith in me, um, believe in I sort of repaid that faith with with what I did and what I said. I knew that in a way that I'd sort of backed myself to do well. I was doing well up until January and um, my agent at the time sort of had a good link with Doncaster. So um, that always, I think, was going to materialise. And I went actually into Doncaster as an understudy to Jermaine McSporran, who was a player they signed from Wickham as a right winger. Um, so I went in there as his understudy. When you go into to Doncaster, I mean, it's, it's a question I'm sure you might have been asked a few times, but I think it's an important one considering the longevity you've had. Did you ever imagine you'd still be there 16 years later? Um, no, definitely not. I, I, I never thought that I'd still be playing football, never mind still at the club. Um, for me, it was about sort of getting back on track, rebuilding my football career closer to home with my family around me. Um, and getting my life back together. Um, there were still strides that I needed to make, but I was back up north, back where I believed I belonged. Um, and at a club that was building, and, and they just had back-to-back -back promotions from the conference to League Two, and then from League Two to League One. So I was going from the conference to League One. Um, and again, sort of going there and going, you know what, I'm going to make a, a, a good crack of this. I believe in myself. Um, and the chairman backed me to the hill. You mentioned the fact you were you're back to the hill. Um, going in at the club, as we've said, the longevity is something that's it's incredible. And the, the first question I want to ask you, um, James, with Doncaster, is a broad question. You've played in League One with the club, you've played in League Two, and you've crucially also played in the Championship with the club as well. What are the differences between those divisions? Um, is, it, is, it, is it difficult, uh, sorry, is it different Physically, as you go up the divisions, or te technically, a mix of the two, what are the main differences? Uh, it's a very good question, and I think it's everything. I think mentality, I think the higher you go up, 
say, championship um, players are more focused. They believe in themselves more. Um, they're dedicated to their profession and that might coincide with them getting paid more, um, being a better football club, made to feel like they're better players. Um, I think that does play a big part. I, I've, I've seen players in League Two that have more technical ability than players in the Championship, but they don't believe in themselves. They don't believe they can get to that level off the pitch. They don't look after themselves, they don't eat the right food, they don't do the right things. Um, and I think there's the difference for me. Um, physically, it's more demanding um, in Leagues 1, Leagues 2 in the Championship than the Premier League, I think, um, because of the amount of games that you have to play and the tempo that's, that it's played at. Uh, but I, I genuinely feel like the biggest thing stopping players from playing in the Championship is the is the mentality part? And I know I speak about it a lot, and I know it plays a big part in, in how I've worked over the last 15, 20 years. But uh, I've seen so many players sort of talk themselves out of getting in the championship and playing in the championship because of what they genuinely believe. In terms of yourself playing in League One and then getting promoted to the championship, um, is the automatics? I mean. With Sean O'Driscoll at the helm, what was he like as a manager? He's someone who's always intrigued me because he's obviously managed several clubs, but he's also coached at Liverpool as well. Yeah, a, a, a one-off Sean O'Driscoll, um, a manager that, for me, played the biggest part in my career, had the biggest influence in my career, very much like myself, um, likes structure, uh, likes to know where he stands, um, is honest, consistent with, with his actions and behaviours. Um, and a fantastic coach tactically. He he got it so right with with the majority of the the games that we played in. Um, and as a as a player playing in that team, you just couldn't believe how how the, how he was doing it. Um, things have evolved now, and and I think a lot of managers and coaches are like he used to be. But there wasn't very there wasn't many around when he was doing it. Um, I think Ian Holloway paid homage to him. And, and told him that he was an inspiration for getting back into football and um, sort of getting Blackpool, ended up getting promoted to the Premier League. But I think he, he said that Sean was one of the reasons why, because of the way he we played at Doncaster. We we played some unbelievable football in the four or five seasons we were in the Championship. Um, and Richard Kelly, his assistant, who's now at, at Aston Villa, who's the assistant manager at Aston Villa, he, he also was a a fantastic sort of number two and they complemented each other really, really well. Um, but we had a really good group of players that bought into everything that Sean did because um, it wasn't easy. He did; It was complicated at times and he did sort of um, do things very, very differently to anybody else. So it was, it was important that he got the full buy-in of everybody that was at the club. You mentioned the fact that he, the quality he's got as a manager. See, when you get promoted to the Championship... Does, does Sean change things in terms of the way he approaches, approaches it because you're going up a division or does he try and keep it business as usual? Because in that first season in the Championship, I mean, 14th place finishing, finishing above teams like Crystal Palace and Derby County, I mean, that's no mean feat. No, and, and you're right. I think when we got promoted, things did change. Um, we, had, we recruited sort of... Um, so we we had a leadership group. So we would have a meeting after every after every game on a Monday with a leadership group of experienced um, players that could then filter down messages to um, everybody else. We sort of we signed some better players. We I think we had a bigger budget. Um, but in terms of the way we played, we just worked. We sort of turned the screw. We worked a lot harder on the training pitch. Um, we were relentless with you ask anybody who's played under Sean with throw-ins before and against uh, set pieces um, all the sort of small details we sort of refined and, and made sure that look we're not going to have the biggest budget in the league but we can sort of work really hard at, at making these things work for us and and like you say we we had a fantastic season and played really really well and surprised a lot of teams um, I think a lot of teams complimented us on the way we played 
it was never about it was never about winning with Sean. It was about the performance. If you could concentrate on performing well, sort of eight nine times out of ten, you would get the right result. Absolutely, and one of the characters I've got to ask you about, you referenced them earlier on. When you get into the championship, an opportunity arises for Billy Sharp um, to come into the club. I mean, just what was it like getting to play alongside Billy Sharp? Because he's just a goal scorer in the matter of where he plays. He is, yeah. I, I room with Billy and um, we missed him first season in the championship. I think if we'd have had him, um, things would have been a lot different. So to to get him um, and for the chairman and the manager to sign him was an absolute amazing sort of feat for the club. And he's an infectious personality, somebody who you can feed off. Um, all he wants to do is score goals. He has mu as much desire now uh, to score goals as he did when he was sort of 16, 17. Um, I've never met anybody, like I said previous, apart from Alan Shearer, that is so clinical in front of goal. He... He just loves the feeling of scoring goals. Um, and again, his record speaks for himself itself. Um, and it was a pleasure for me as a, as a provider, somebody that enjoys score, uh, assisting goals as much as he likes scoring goals, that you knew that he was going to be in the right areas and that if you put the balls into certain areas of the pitch, he was there, he'd be there to tap them in. The amount of goals he scored in the box was unreal and, and continues to do so. So I... I'm not sure you can teach what he's got. Um, I think it comes within. I think you need to have that desire and that hunger to, to score a goal, which, which, like you said, Alan Shearer had. He used to go into every single game thinking he was going to score. Absolutely. Going into every game, you think he's going to score. I mean, when Sheffield United just get back to the league, uh, the Premier League, he gets one of their first goals is to get back, which just sums, sums up his natural instinct, regardless of the level he plays at. Another thing that interests me, you see it with so many clubs, Bournemouth probably the prime example because they've came from League Two to the Premier League. The higher the level, the more high-profile player you can attract. What was it like for you and the guys in the dressing room when El Hadj Juf shows up? <laughs> um, it was it was a difficult time um, because Sean had got had got the sack or he he left left his job after five years after building something really really special. Um, and going to a manager that did things in a complete different way. The club went down a total different route. Um, it was called the experiment. And yeah, it, it was it was a shock to everybody's system. We we, we brought in Elaz Juf, uh, Pascal Chimbonda, um, Ilunga. Uh, we had a lot of high-profile players that had played their careers in the Premier League. Um, Habibib came from Aston Villa. Um, and it was a difficult, difficult time for me personally, sort of having to adapt and do things in a total different way. Well, as, as you, you've summed it up perfectly in terms of adapting, see, because of those high profile names and, and for a club like Doncaster, when you're getting a larger than, than potentially usual influx of foreign players, did it change the dynamic of the dressing room quite a lot? Oh, without a doubt. Um, and like you say, it, it, it's difficult to, to understand unless you're there how it can. When, you're, when you've been programmed or when you've been sort of um, shown a certain way of playing and working every single day and then all of a sudden that gets ripped up and it's right. You've got the same players, but then we're going to do it this way. And... Like I said before, you have to have a buy-in, 100% uh, of all the players. We didn't have that. Um, for whatever reason, we didn't have that buy-in. And we were 50-50 split, I would think. Um, and that's arguably the reason we got, we got relegated out, out of that division. Um, for me personally, to be a successful, I've been successful on numerous occasions. And, and every team that I've been successful with, everybody's pulled in the same direction. And it's, it's almost impossible to do it. Um, when you've got half your team going one way and half your team going the other way. Absolutely, and you mentioned the fact it's an experiment. It's an experiment that doesn't work because the club are relegated, but you bounce back the next year by storming League One. I mean, what was it like to win that league as champions? It was amazing. Um, like you say, for me, I left 
and went to Nottingham Forest for five months, um, knowing that I would be returning in January. Um, and it, when I returned in January, the club were in a great position. I played every game from January up until the last game of the season. And But as soon as I came back into the January, I walked into the gym and people were working hard. People were, were sort of... You could, you could just tell the atmosphere, like I said there, you could just tell the atmosphere was a working atmosphere, a working environment that everybody was was had one goal and that was getting promoted. Everybody believed that they could achieve that. We had some big players like Rob Jones, uh, Neil Sullivan, uh, Jamie McCoom, David Cottrell, Ian Hume, Chris Brown, uh, Tommy Spur, uh, Dean Furman, all these players that, that had been there, seen it, done it and... Um, for me to join them and, and give them a little kick kickstart in January, sort of, yeah, we ended up obviously getting promoted and winning the league, um, and it was an unbelievable experience. You mentioned the loan spell at Forest. What was it like going on loan to Forest? Because they're one of England's most historic clubs, two European Cups, massive stature. They've, they've not had the success that their history potentially suggests they warrant, but. Um, what was it like going there? Because a completely different club to Doncaster. Doncaster, obviously, a very, a very good club, but Forest are one of the sleeping giants of English football. I I, I totally agree. I was a, I was not a Forest fan growing up. Um, I sort of had the kits, and I went to see them play against Man United. Um, Stan Collymore was was my favourite player. Um, used to watch them. Grandad. And my dad used to watch them play. Um, obviously, Brian Clough from Middlesbrough, Desi Clough is his, his brother. Um, my granddad knew so, and he used to watch them play. And they were they were they were absolutely one of the best teams to to play football. Um, Steve Stone, Ian Warne, Stuart Pearce, uh, Mark Crossley, players like that that I watched and looked up to. And then I obviously Sean O'Driscoll got the manager's job at Forest, and I got the opportunity to go there. And it was. It was a real eye, you know. It was a real eye opener for me to go to a club uh, of that stature, um, but also understand that I could see why the club weren't as successful as they had been. Um, I, I don't think everybody was pulling in the same direction. I don't think everybody was working as hard as as they could and should to to get that club to where it should be or where it where it needed to be. Um, although when I did go there to start with, Sean got them into the playoffs. I think we were third in, in the championship. Um, I think he left in sixth position in the championship. Well, as you say, the, that, that sums it up. And it was a crazy, a crazy situation at Forest when you were there, and and in a situation that, when it comes to chopping and changing managers, we've seen at Forest and let's be honest, lots of other clubs over the years. So, a very interesting time and. Going back to Doncaster from there, we talked about the success, winning League One. Just how important were senior pros like Rob Jones and Neil Sullivan? Rob Jones was or had the best season I've ever seen from any individual player. Um, he single, not single-handedly, but he captained the club, drove the club forward. At some points, he was almost the manager, uh, along with Brian Flynn when, when Dean Saunders left, um, scored goals cleared balls left, right and centre, um, dragged everybody along with him. Um, and yeah, he was a, an absolute leader um, of men, if you like, that season. And he, he more than anybody stood out. But again, we had 11 leaders. We had genuinely 11 senior pros, mid-20s, um, late-20s that that had been there, seen it and done it and could see games out. We, we didn't play the best football and we weren't the most attractive to watch, but we knew how to win football games. And that season, we got hammered a few times by teams that were like, how the hell are Doncaster at the top of this division? Um, but we ended up winning the league. And again, we won, we won the league because of our mentality and how together we were as a group. You mentioned that togetherness to get up. The next season in the Championship, what, the team fought hard, but ultimately going down in goal difference, just how heartbreaking is that? Because I imagine as a footballer, it, it must be hard to take. That was soul-destroying, yeah. I mean, we beat Leeds at Ellen Road 
um, with five games to go, um, two one, and I think nine points from safety, and thinking, you know what, we we're, we're home and dry, and um, something that I've learnt, learnt from, like not to worry and focus on other people. We with five six games to go, we were constantly looking over our shoulders, seeing how other teams were getting on, and it was about us. It was about us making sure that we stay focused and and see see ourselves over the line. Um, that last day of the season at the King Power Stadium, Leicester had got promoted to the Premier League. There was a big, massive carnival atmosphere. We A draw was good enough for us. Um, and we were doing well right up until the last 10 minutes. Um, Anthony Knockhart came on and won a penalty and scored. And um, as, soon as, as soon as they scored, we knew that we had to try and get a goal. Um, obviously, the news filtered that Birmingham had, had equalised and uh, at Bolton and yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking for everybody, but um, at the same time, like you say, it wasn't anybody else's fault but ours. We we should have done more that season. I think we played Charlton away and we were winning 3-1. Um, 70 minutes in, the game got called off and we went back down to Charlton and got beat 1-0. Um, if that game had stood, we'd have stayed up and that's how, how fine the margins are and how close it can be to, to staying up or um, going down. I'm going to put you on a spot, the spot with this question about a teammate. Ross Tumble, did he ever t- did he ever brag about winning the Champions League? <laughs> um, he wasn't that type of person, but every now and again, he'd, he'd get his Rolex watch out that had been engraved by by the club that they all got for winning the Champions League. Um, we travelled in with Ross, me and Rob, uh, fantastic guy, very humble, very down to earth, um, and a really good goalkeeper. Yeah, we we were lucky to have him, or he was lucky to, or we were lucky to have him to come to Doncaster. Absolutely, I thought I'd ask that question because he seems <laughs> like he seems like a really nice guy. But I thought if you've won the Champions League, that you've got to get that in the conversation whenever you can. Oh, he shows us the watch, and yeah, he'll he'll chuck it in there every now and again. In terms of the club going down in goal difference, Paul Dickoff, you finished 13th in League One in the first season back in League One. Second season in League One, again, it's it's not as good. You end up getting relegated. Um, a really shock season, really, you could say. Paul Dickoff's in, then Robson, caretaker charge, then Darren Ferguson comes in. The relegation happens, but was Darren Ferguson adamant that he would get the club back to League One the following season? Without a doubt, um, it was something that, that for Darren, for myself, uh, we spoke about and obviously went down and, and it never sort of entered my head or his that we would we would get promoted the next season. And like you say, we did that. It's the hardest thing to do in football is, is get relegated and there's not many teams bounce back at the first time of asking. Obviously, we did it from the Championship to League One and we did it from League Two to League One and... Um, we signed John Marquis that season. Like Rob Jones, when we went down, we signed John Marquis, who was a huge revelation for the club. We we had a, a talisman in in John as a number nine who would score our goals, and he did. And um, he had, I think he got player of the season that season, top goal scorer. Um, and yeah, he had a fantastic year. And um, along with myself, got picked in team of the season. And yeah, we, we got promoted back to League One where, where I felt like we should be. You felt that you should be in League One and I would agree with that. And in terms of the League Two season, you scored 10 goals that season. It must have been, although you were gutted to go down, it must have been a nice feeling to, to be chipping in with more goals uh, when you get down to League Two. Oh, without a doubt, playing in a, a sort of number 10 position, um, being able to express myself and... Yeah, really prove people wrong in terms of where I was sort of fighting at 36, 37 to get this club back to League One. Um, like you say, we we went on a, a really bad run. I think it was 18 games without a win um, after sort of being almost in the playoffs after New Year that season. And it was heartbreaking for everybody involved with the club. But like you say, a really, really big effort from everybody involved that season to, to get us back into League One and Moving forward again. Moving forward again, you're still the club are still in League One um, at the moment. 
Um, obviously, the situation of football is up in the air, but I've got to ask you about your current manager and Darren Moore. From the outside looking in, it just seems like a bubbly character, but he also, I'm going to be honest, he seems like the sort of guy you would not mess with. <laughs> I played against the gaffer, um, and yes, he was definitely one of them people you didn't mess with. Um, I came close to him a few times. He kicked me up in the air a few times. Um, and as a manager, he's 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 the total opposite. Um, as you get to know him, you understand what he's about. Um, very meticulous, very thorough, um, and yeah, very sure of what he wants, and really good with his players. So, um, like you say, we built on last season where we missed out in the playoffs. In, on penalties at Charlton uh, to get to Wembley. Uh, we built on that again this season. We we lost Grant McCann and then the gaffer came in and we've we've gone from strength to strength, I think. I think we've done really, really well to get into the position we're in now. Um, and we really had a really good chance of getting into the playoffs, I believe. I think three points or four points with a game in hand. Um, so, yeah, it's a shame that this has happened, but like you say, no one can take that away from us and we just have to have to build on that for next season. Absolutely. And in terms of yourself, James, what fascinates me about you is the fact that you're, you're 39. I don't need to remind you of that. I apologise for, <laughs> for doing so. Just how, how have you been able to play for, for so long? Because you look at guys like in the past, the likes of Teddy Sheringham, Ryan Giggs, playing at the elite level. Sharing on the road dropped down a couple of levels towards the end, but relentless year on year and determined to keep playing. What do you put your longevity down to? Because you've played over 500 games for Doncaster. You've played you've played so many games in your career, yet you've still got that hunger approaching 700 career league games. I mean, it's extraordinary when you look at it that way. Yeah, I think... I think seven over seven hundred and fifty career games, six over six hundred and fifty for Doncaster, um, and over forty games every season for the past seventeen, eighteen seasons. Um, and it, you go back to when I started, when we've we've been talking about Newcastle. I, I never wanted the tag of professional footballer or I play for Newcastle United, but I don't. I play in the reserves. Um, I wanted. I wanted to to play professional football. I want to turn up on a Saturday and contribute. I want to not sit on the bench and pick up my money. Um, so for me, it's been about doing that. And I've done that for for the 16, 17, 16 seasons I've been at Doncaster and two seasons I, I did at Exeter. Um, and it's because I enjoy playing football, whether it's in the garden with the kids or down the park with my friends when I was, when I was younger. Um, or whether it's Accrington Stanley on a Tuesday night or making my debut in the Premier League. Like I enjoy playing as much in in all different areas and I think that's why I'm still playing. I, I get up every morning and look forward to training. I don't wake up and think, oh my God, I, I roll out of bed and, and I don't want to do this. Um, and I think until that happens or somebody says, look, we don't want to sign you or you, there's not a contract there for you, I'll continue to play. Um and hopefully that'll continue for next season. Who knows? Well, who knows, as you've said, and I hope it does continue because, as I say, I really admire players that, that have got the longevity to play and not just play when and drop down division after division to keep playing, but you've played at a, 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 consider, a, a, a consistent high standard over the years. I mean, 16 years at Doncaster, you spent... As we've said, as we've said, we spent one of those seasons really in League Two, but the rest of them have been high end League One and and several in the Championship too. I'm not trying to put you under pressure to answer this one, but considering your age, are you considering coaching at all? I coach uh, my two kids' teams, um, and I have done for the last five seasons, four or five seasons, um, under 12s and under 13s. So I've seen them develop from under sevens all the way up and I've really enjoyed it we've done really well with the kids we've got a fantastic group of individuals players parents um, and for me personally I've enjoyed sort of trying to educate them on it's not just about your technical ability there's so much more to to playing football than that um, coaching I'm not sure I I've got other things going on I, I, I I've started a business acquisitions company buying businesses over the last 18 months, uh, learning how to do that. 
Um, and I own my own kicks academy. So I've got a, a kicks franchise academy um, that I help sort of run as well. So I've got other things going on um, and I have done obviously 39. The football isn't always going to play a part in my life. There's going to come an end, uh, come a time when, when it ends. So I've got to prepare as best I can for that. Um, but who knows? I don't think I'm ever going to know. I'm all or nothing type of person. So I try and put everything I can into my playing career. Um, so as soon as that finishes, I think um, time will tell and, and I'll know exactly what I want to do, I think. Absolutely, and I'd like to finish with around the quick fire questions. First of all, being best players you played with. Um, best player, I think for me personally, the type of player I am. I played with Richie Wellens, who uh, was at Man United when he was younger. Uh, I think he went out to Oldham, played with him at Doncaster, got promoted to the Championship. Then he went played with Leicester. Um, had a fantastic career, but was an absolute. He was probably the, the one of the very few players that was on the same wavelength, or I felt like was on the same wavelength with me, um, and had such a good relationship with him on the pitch, um, and obviously Billy Sharp as well. But yeah, I'd have to probably say Richie Wellens. Best um, opponent you've come up against directly. Um, we played Arsenal. Um, in the Carabao Cup a couple of seasons ago at the Emirates, and Alexi Sanchez was playing. I couldn't, I, I couldn't believe how quick, how small he was, but how quick and agile, and um, how far ahead he was in terms of, like when somebody went to get the ball off him, he'd be, he'd be gone. Um, and yeah, it just shows you how sort of that next step, that next level. Um, what sort of ability you need to be that standout player like him, like Hazard, Messi, people like that, that, that are that sort of type of player. Most underrated player you've played with? Um, I think there's a couple, uh, Paul Keegan, who who's um, playing in Ireland now. He played with the club for a while um, and never really got the the credit he deserved and the position that he played and the job he did. He's very like a Roy Keane type, um, the, a ball winner that, that did a lot of the dirty work for the players. Um, Dean Furman, very similar type of player, really, really fit, got around the pitch. Um, he's in South Africa, South African international. Um, so, yeah, them two stick out for me. Um, they're the type of players that, again, probably don't get the credit they deserve. A few non-football ones for you now. Um, first of all, Bean, what's your favourite sport outside of football? Um, I like golf and tennis. I play golf today uh, for the first time in a long time. Obviously, having three kids, but but I do enjoy a round of golf and, and having a round of golf with the lads. Um, playing tennis with my kids. I used to love playing tennis as a kid, um, and both my kids play, so... Yeah, it's it's always good to get out on the court, and um, it's a different feeling. I used to play a lot of cricket as well as a kid. Um, spent four or five years playing a real good standard. Um, so for me, for me personally, for me personally, it's about trying to, especially when you're younger, try and mix up um, what you do and how you play. Um, I think a lot of people focus on just one sport, and I think. There's so many things you can learn from different from playing different sports. Favorite band? Favorite band? Um, I'm a big I'm a big Queen fan. Um, I went to see Queen probably five years ago when um, at the O2 Adam Lambert was was fronting them. Um, probably brought up by my granddad, my dad. Um, listening to Queen and listening to all their tracks, all their classics growing up. Um, I absolutely love watching Freddie Mercury on the stage. I just think he's he's such a special performer. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably have to say Queen. Favourite food? Favourite food would have to be pizza. <laughs> um, a pasta and a pizza, I think, for me personally, as a, as a, as a footballer, um, a double whammy there but 
pizza for me, uh, like you say, how we, we treat ourselves to a takeaway on a weekend with the kids. Um, and a parmo, so a, a chicken parmo from Middlesbrough. It's like um, a chicken in a breadcrumb um, and a cheese sauce on top. Um, that's probably probably up there as well. That sounds good. Um, tea or coffee? <laughs> uh, coffee, 100%. Not a tea fan at all. Um, look forward to a coffee on the morning and on the way back from training. Keep me keep me going, keep me awake. Um, so, yeah, I, I do like a, a cup of coffee. Beer or wine? Um, wine for me, yeah. I do like a glass of red um, or a glass of rosé if I'm drinking it with, with the wife. Um, so either or I do prefer wine to be as I've got older to be honest Fair enough and to finish <laughs> this on on um, football for you what advice would you give to any young player listening to this today considering that you've played in your career for over 20 years do you know so you're the perfect person to ask that question to um, I definitely say a couple of things don't don't get don't get too focused on on just the technical side of, of the game. Like I've come across so many players that haven't got the most or the best technical ability, but they've got um, the mentality to to make it happen. They've got that self belief, that drive, that hunger to become a professional footballer. They they they, they know how to deal with setbacks um, and. Yeah, believe in yourself. I think I think it's the biggest thing. I always say to my young group of players, look, if you're sat there when I'm talking or stood there when I'm talking and, and when I'm mentioning certain things, if, if you're not that person that believes you're the best player in this team, um, then you need to start doing it because... And that, that doesn't mean start shouting and, and telling everybody you're the best player or going about saying I'm better than him. And he, What I mean is like you have to believe that you're the best player. Um, I still believe I'm the best player at Doncaster um, and I will until I retire and I imagine the majority of the players playing in, in teams now will, will feel the same so I think it's important that you believe that that, that you are the best player and that you, you can achieve anything that, that you want to achieve. Belief is massive I think. Absolutely and I have to say James it's been a pleasure speaking to you about your, your career in the game and I wish you all the best for the future. No, likewise, Callum. Um, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to, to share my journey and all my experiences with everybody else.